Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Let's talk about the fall of the Soviet Union. In August 1991, there was an attempted coup as communist hardliners sought to re-establish the dominance of Soviet rule in Russia and in its satellite states. The coup attempt collapsed after just three days, and it eventually led to the collapse of communism in the Soviet Union. Mikhail Gorbachev resigned as General Secretary on the 24th of August, and the Supreme Soviet of the USSR suspended the activities of the party on August 29th. Following this, former Soviet states declared their independence, which radically reshaped the world that we live in today, and it continues to reshape our world, as the Ukraine crisis shows us oh so clearly. To help us understand all of this here on the Warfare Podcast, I decided to go back through the History Hit Archive to bring you an episode with the brilliant Peter Kenneth. He explains to us just how the fall of the Soviet Union occurred, and how it continues to make waves across our world today. Enjoy. Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for asking me. Okay, this is a big question. Did the Soviet Union collapse under its own internal contradictions because of economic forces, commodity prices, things like that? Or was it external pressure and resistance that led to its collapse? Well, we can say with some assurance that uh, the Soviet Union collapsed not because of uh, a great uprising, because the people were um, dissatisfied with what they had and then rebelled and then overthrew the regime which uh, oppressed them. But uh, actually, uh, Lenin formulated uh, that what you need for a revolution is not so much that lower classes cannot tolerate their oppression, but those who are in position of control cannot do it any longer. And so I always thought that the crucial moment of the collapse of the Soviet Union was when uh, Karbachev at one point said to Shevardnadze, which means it is impossible to live like that. So my explanation of the collapse of the Soviet Union is that those who were in control did not believe in the justice of the regime, which which made it possible for them to oppress. That is, uh, Gorbachev, who is a crucial figure, did not believe in the justice of the cause any longer. What he wanted to create was what was called at the time socialism with the human face. And that turned out to be utopia. 
What I'm saying is that the regime disintegrated rather than brought down by a popular uprising. And that I think it's easy to demonstrate. Now, what were the cause of the ultimate disintegration? Uh, I suppose is the impossibility of reforming the economy and maintaining the existing system. The nationality question, which pulled the country in different directions. And ultimately, the disintegration of institutions, above all, the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. So, I mean, this was a, a process which ultimately failed. Gorbachev, to me, is a, is a very attractive character in as much as he wanted to bring together a democratic form of socialism. And this is, to me, an attractive proposition. It's too bad that it was not possible. And it is, as far as I can see, still not possible. But it is an attractive utopia, socialism with a human face. In this respect, uh, his comrades were the Hungarian Imre Noy, 1956, Dubček of 1968, and Gorbachev. These are the three people who wanted to maintain socialism as they saw it, a system which can be reconciled with a democracy, and that did not work. What's so interesting hearing you say that is you think about the contemporary world in which you have all sorts of authoritarians clinging to power against seemingly extraordinary odds, the Assad family in Syria, Belarusia today. They uh, believe in the justice of their cause. That's right, North Korea. So that's the key dip. That's obviously China. And it's allowed them to weather far more apparent obstacles and headwinds than Gorbachev faced in the late 80s and early 90s. Yes. You have to believe in the justice of your cause to be successful as an oppressor. Now, people have no trouble convincing themselves of all sorts of nonsense, but uh, uh, decent people cannot do it, and they fail. Lukashenko is not decent. But then Gorbachev, what quirk of fate allowed someone who lacked a sense of the legitimacy of their own cause to reach the very apogee of the Soviet empire in the, in the late 80s? What does that mean? Was that just luck? Or was it a product of a wider malaise, a wider loss of confidence? Yes, indeed. There was increasing recognition that changes will be necessary. And uh, Chernyenka, who preceded Gorbachev, was clearly incapable. And uh, Andropov, who preceded Chernyenko, recognized the necessity of changes and uh, put Gorbachev forward and supported him. Now, how important personalities are in uh, how events turn up, it's practically impossible to say. It is impossible to disintegrate. How significant Gorbachev was, I don't know. But I think we can say with such assurance that that regime, as it lasted, could not go on any longer. The economy was in shambles. You could not maintain an economy which is cut off from the world, where uh, there is a planned economy in, in which prices don't mean anything, where uh, economic inefficiency is non-existent where factories are not closed down, which are inefficient because you cannot have uh, unemployment, this just could not continue in the end of the 20th century. Something got to give. And so there was a recognition on the part that you need changes, but how far those changes can go 
Now, there was a recognition that the changes will be painful. There cannot be changes without suffering. That is, uh, closing down factories will be harmful. Stopping uh, support of prices will create uh, misery for a large segment of the population. And indeed, this is what happened in the, in the Yeltsin era, where economic reforms, radical economic reforms were introduced. And it created an extraordinary suffering. The, the 1990s in Russia were a period of a dreadful decade when life expectancy fell, where alcoholism reached remarkable proportions, where people lived in misery. And this was a high cost. Now, it always interested me how come the Chinese managed to avoid all that. Why is that the China succeeded when Russia did not succeed? The Chinese did succeed. I mean, they did get rid of a Marxist economy. Really, China is not a communist system in any meaningful way. China is an autocratic regime where uh, free enterprise flourishes, where there are billionaires. Uh, I understand there are as many billionaires in China as there are in the, the United States. Now, how come that the Chinese managed to do it and the Russians did not? Here I am on, on weak soil. The Chinese liked to work. The Russians didn't like to work. The Russians were infected by European liberalism. Europe was too close. That is when Gorbachev said to Zhevernadze, it is impossible to live like that. It was because basically it was a European. The Chinese have a different tradition. They have a different history. And that history matters. Russian history mattered and Chinese history mattered. So you could do things in China which you could not do in Russia. And so China flourishes and the Russians are not doing very well by any standard of measurement. I have hope that uh, economic, further economic reforms will be introduced in Russia. Corruption will be reduced. There will be a development of a middle class which will demand to be treated as normal human beings should be treated. I have hopes, but hopes for the, not for the very near future. For the very near future, I don't have much hope. Coming back to, you mentioned infected by European liberalism. So was that an element? Um, the, Americans, the Americans like, say, George Bush, H.W. Bush won the Cold War because the Soviet Union collapsed. What were the factors from outside Russia? Was it the images of McDonald's and Levi's and pop music and people having fun and it's of apparent freedoms of the West? Was that a, an important factor in, in this Soviet collapse? I do think so. I do think so that as long as Russia could live as a separate entity, as it could in the 1920s and the 1930s, but the outside world could be shut out. The regime had a degree of stability and legitimacy, which in the modern world, and of course, especially today, but even in the 1980s and 1990s, Russia could not be cut off from the rest of the world, and that mattered. It's not what Reagan or Bush did or did not do which really mattered. It's the very existence of a liberal outside world which undermined people's faith in themselves, what they were doing. And Gorbachev talked about our common European home. Now, you cannot imagine a Chinese leader talk about our common European home. And that mattered. 
that is the West mattered, not because of what it said, but for what it was. So no, uh, Reagan did not bring down the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union collapsed because it was based on principles which at the end of the 20th century were inappropriate for the needs of the moment. Times change. Something which you could do in the 1920s, you could not do in the 1990s. Another exogenous factor is, I guess, Eastern Europe, which was sort of part of this Soviet empire, but at slightly more arm's reach than places like Ukraine and Georgia. It's interesting to me that the German collapse at the end of the First World War was presaged by a collapse of its allies in South and East Europe. Is that important as well in 1991? Is this important that Poland, Czechoslovakia, Hungary would have required military repression to keep them in that Eastern Bloc? Yes. Yes. But again, uh, the paradox of Gorbachev, who goes to East Berlin, and uh, he uh, stands for liberalism against the Ulbricht regime. And indeed, in 1956, for example, Khrushchev's reforms made the Hungarian Revolution of 56 possible, in the sense that, well, if Khrushchev can denounce Stalin, then so can we. Times change. And what is appropriate in one historical moment is not appropriate in another. But we're talking about the significance of Eastern Europe. Yes, uh, Eastern Europe required investment, military investment, which the Soviet Union could barely afford. And indeed, what was going on in Poland and what was going on in Hungary demonstrated the disintegration of the regime. Interestingly, less in East Germany. (laughs) and to say nothing about Romania, but Poland first and then Hungary second, demonstrated to the disintegration of the bloc and the pull of the West. And well, as I say, what it comes down to is the ideology of combining socialism with democracy, socialism with a human face, as they call it. And it is our loss that this turned out to be impossible. Have you had an existential crisis while taking out recycling? Do you look at your shopping and wonder if you should be growing it yourself? And why is everyone banging on about saving the bees? If so, then don't worry because you are not alone. I've been there too. I'm Jimmy Doherty and on my new podcast on Jimmy's Farm, I sit down with well-known faces and some of the smartest green minds to learn how they try and sometimes fail to be kinder to the planet and live closer to nature. Listen and subscribe to On Jimmy's Farm Now, wherever you get your podcasts, a new podcast from History Hit. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Were there voices within the Soviet hierarchy who said, yes, this has a military solution. We can reimpose order on our satellite states in Eastern Europe. Well, um, this is uh, indeed the 30th anniversary of that the historical moment, the so-called uh, Butch, uh, August 19, 1991, when uh, in effect, those people who were devoted to the old regime and opposed to what Gorbachev stood for, wanted to return to the old, which would have necessitated the use of military force. And that was not possible. The regime was disintegrating. The coup was not a serious danger. The people who organized that coup had no force behind them. But also there was no force behind Gorbachev or Yeltsin. What we see is disintegration. It's not that there were strong forces against one another. It's not that uh, Gorbachev stood for something and he was opposed by uh, a conservative cabal. The institutions were falling apart. The Communist Party, there were debates within the party. Now, you cannot have a Communist Party when there are internal disagreements. I mean, that's not a Communist Party any longer. So what I'm saying is that we must look at it ultimately as this integration rather than a revolution. Not that the Soviet people rebelled against the regime and overthrew it and brought in something which they deeply desired. That's not the way things go. What we see is disintegration, disintegration, disintegration. Well, in this respect, I think 1917 is very similar. 1917, it's not that there was a strong communist party which overthrew first the Tsarist regime and then the liberal regime of Kerensky, everything just fell apart. Is the slightly disturbing lesson of the Soviet Union in 1991 for the Chinese, for the North Koreans, for the Syrians, is the disturbing lesson is that as long as you can hold a governing coalition together, as long as you can maintain your morale as an elite, you can stave off that disintegration? Depends on the moment, depends on the circumstances. And well, as you say, uh, Syria and Belarus and North Korea are prime examples. But Cuba is falling apart. There is no equivalent of Lukashenko in Cuba. And so, uh, you know, the Cubans now have cell phones and they listen to what was going on in the rest of the world. And that's not going to work in the long run. Speaking of the morale of the ruling class or the ruling culture, I'm reminded, was it Louis Philippe in 1848? It says, the problem with republics is they can shoot people. 
<laughs> yes, yes, shooting is uh, is very important for the stability of the regime. Yes, the willingness to do it. Right, and he didn't have the willingness to do it. Uh, and you have to believe. You see, we have trouble accepting that those wicked people actually believe in the justice of their cause. It seems to us that uh, they are just hypocrites. They really manage to convince themselves. Lukashenko believes that what he's doing is good. And Assad believes that he is holding together a regime, and that's good. How can people do that? How can normal people believe that what they are doing is good? But they do. There are very few hypocrites. And with the Soviet Union, you see the satellite states in Eastern Europe break away. You also see component parts of the Soviet Union, of the original czarist empire of Russia, break away. What determined how far and how fast that breakup would go? Why didn't other parts of the former Soviet Union break away? I think that as long as there is a strong central power, nationalism of the subject people does not flourish. But once there is a sense among the Estonians and Lithuanians and Georgians and Armenians that the central power is disintegrating, then nationalism suddenly acquires great strength and great force. This is again what happened in 1917. The regime collapsed, and so uh, the separate parts of Imperial Russia suddenly recognized that we are Armenians, we are Georgians, and we are Estonians and Latvians and so on and so forth. And this happened again in 1988, 1989. And after all, that's the first shooting, you may remember, took place in Georgia and then in Lithuania. And then all was the result that the center is not functioning. There is no central power. And suddenly people became Georgians and suddenly they became Armenians and suddenly they became, what have you, uh, Romanians in Moldova. And the previous notion that we have succeeded in developing uh, Soviet patriotism and I am a nationalist Soviet suddenly fell apart. Then people realized that, well, actually I'm Georgian. Again, disintegration. Everything follows from disintegration. The economy, the institutions, the nationalities. It seems to me that these are the three relevant factors. The economy, institutions, primarily the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, the Komsomol, and then the nationalities. And ultimately, we have seen the result. I mean, we are now in a different situation. Tell me about the importance of Afghanistan in this collapse. Was Afghanistan primarily an issue of confidence in those institutions, again, the morale of the ruling cadre, or was there a direct economic and military impact that made the Soviet project unsustainable? Well, I mean, it's a peculiar situation because the Soviets did not uh, impose Najibullah on Afghanistan. However, the Soviets supported Najibullah, and when uh, the Taliban was about to overthrow their regime, they did not want to create a precedent in which a Soviet-type regime can be overthrown, and so they militarily invested in maintaining Najibullah's regime, in which they failed. And this is a particular moment, we should remember the American support for the Taliban, because from the American point of view, getting rid of the Soviet-supported Afghan was a good thing. Now, it turned out to be it was a mistake. However, that takes us in a different direction in our conversation. 
about American uh, role in Afghanistan. But yes, of course, that was a blow. And of course, Chernobyl was a blow. And really returning from Afghanistan was the first really major military setback for the Soviet Union in the course of its existence. They had not suffered another comparable reverse where they had to give up the Soviet support the Soviet style regime as they did in Afghanistan in 88. And it was a blow. It was a blow to the prestige of the Soviet Union, the prestige of the Red Army. And Chernobyl was also a blow. But these are all components of this general disintegration when nothing works. You introduce uh, sensible reforms, such as limiting the sale of the alcohol, but then it turns out that much of the finances uh, the Soviet Union were based on the sale of alcohol. <laughs> so nothing is going the way it should. Everything is falling apart. We should just quickly dwell on the alcohol. Whenever I'm in Russia today, I get told by Russians, they say, you people in the West, you think it's all high politics and you think it was the space race and you think it was Afghanistan and you know cruise missiles. But actually, it's because Gorbachev tried to restrict alcohol. And whenever a Russian regime restricts alcohol, it falls almost instantly. <laughs> well, actually, uh, the, the Tsarist regime during the war, the First World War, also introduced... Uh, exactly. And then that created an enormous hole in the Tsarist budget. So you have to be careful about uh, what... By the way, today we tend to overestimate the extent of Russian alcoholism. It has declined, believe it or not. Well, certainly uh, my entirely unscientific and anecdotal experience is that uh, Russian alcoholism is alive, or D. Snow's alcoholism while in Russia is alive and well. But yes, yeah, so that was an error. Gorbachev, what, he tried to restrict alcohol sales. Yes, again, you know, it's so Gorbachevian that is that you root for the guy. I mean, it's, it's a good idea to make them uh, suffer less from alcoholism, but then it turns out to be a utopia. I find Gorbachev a very winning character, a tragic figure who, to this day, I just read about him when he was talking, that he still believes in the combination of democracy and uh, by socialism, which he means a greater degree of social equality and uh, a functioning economy. So he has not repudiated anything. That's not the way it goes. Now, after 30 years, historians can start to form judgments on these. What did the collapse of the Soviet Union mean for the world? <laughs> well, everything is constantly changing. I mean, now we have an enormously powerful China, which is doing very well. They succeeded in creating an economic system which is functioning and the Chinese work. I mean, the Chinese, what they have accomplished, I believe, is really the great story of our age. The change that occurred in China, as far as the life expectancy, as far as female equality, as far as public health, literacy concern, is just something extraordinary. I mean, I would have trouble thinking an example in world history, but such a transformation took place in such a short time. Now, is the Chinese regime attractive? No, it's not. But that's another issue. And I wish that my Russians would have achieved something similar, but they failed. Before we go, can I ask about your experience? Because you're a Holocaust survivor. Yes, those were exciting days. 
everybody is a survivor because those who are not survivors are not here to tell their story. Of course. So there is a, a paradox is built in. Everybody's a survivor. How old were you when the war came to an end in 1945? And uh, in 1944, well, I was seven years old and uh, I remember walking in front of the Hungarian Nazis with my arms raised. One of my favorite memories. And do you remember being liberated or what freedom felt like? Oh, yes. This was on January 17th, 1945, when I saw my first Russian soldier and I loved them. And to this day, in spite of all my studies, I have a warm spot in my heart for Russians. How did your family fare? My father was uh, taken the very first day when the Germans occupied the country. It was on March 19th. 1944, my father was taken on the 20th of March, and that was the last time I saw him. And I know what happened to him. Uh, He was taken to Auschwitz with the first group, survived Auschwitz, marched ultimately to Buchenwald, and uh, he was alive on the 1st of April, and Buchenwald was liberated by the American army on the 10th of April. And other relatives? Nobody survives on my father's side of the family. My mother survived. I had scarlet fever, and for a while I was a red piece of paper was put on our door, and the Hungarian Nazis didn't want to come in and be infected. I really had scarlet fever. It was not a pretense. By the way, all described lovingly in a little autobiography which I wrote, which is called Varieties of Fear. How has that childhood experience affected you, do you think? Were you able to put that trauma behind you, or has it been with you all your life? Oh, no, 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 no. I, well, of course, we don't know what made us what we are. And what I can say is that there are innumerable number of circumstances which creates us with what we are, and how significant my particular experience in 1944 in how I was formed, I cannot say. I don't want to overestimate it. I don't like to think of myself that I am the product of the Holocaust. It's not my life. But of course, it's part of my life and so much else. Being in England is also part of my life. That was also an experience which formed me. Well, thank you for sharing those stories. Peter, thank you very much indeed. I've taken so much of your time. I really appreciate that. Not at all. uh, You may have noticed I like to talk. Well, we're very glad to have you talk. All right. So uh, thank you very much indeed. Of course. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.
And before you go, remember, as a Warfare listener, you get a special discount at History Hit. Subscribers get access to blissfully, uninterrupted, ad-free podcasts and thousands of hours of history documentaries. You've got everything from the American Revolution to my own documentaries like Traces of War, Weapons of War and 24 Hours in Normandy, where I follow in the footsteps of the Green Howards on D-Day from their beach landings to being awarded the Victoria Cross and all the way through their first day where they made it seven miles inland, further than any other British or American unit. So head over to historyhit.com forward slash subscribe or follow the link in the show notes and use the code WARFARE to get 50% off your next three months. That's the code WARFARE to get 50% off. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free episodes within the app. So give it a go. I know you're gonna love it.